Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amused. I'm Stani. And I'm Sadie. Happy Halloween. Is it too early to say that? I don't know. <laughs> happy Happy October. Happy <laughs> Halloween month, I think. I like yeah. celebrating it all month. I know. I agree. Plus, I mean, like, stores already have Christmas decorations out, so we might as well embrace That's Halloween true. as soon as we can. <laughs> I like the holiday season. I'll celebrate whatever for as yeah. long as I can. Agreed. Plus, this is kind of fun because Sadie's introducing us to a spooky... A individual individual well i don't know if she's like spooky but her I books think there's, are... there's elements of spook I, I i would say so i'm very excited to talk about shirley jackson because mm-hmm. so if you haven't been around if you haven't been a listener for a while i would definitely encourage you to go back last october we did a whole episode on the women of horror fiction writing in the early yes. 1900s and it was it was awesome. I remember last year we were like, how can we possibly think of a way to tie in <laughs> a Halloween into women in the arts? And now this year we don't have enough weeks in October mm-hmm. to cover it. So we literally had so many ideas. So many ideas. <laughs> we had to narrow it down for you all. <laughs> but if you've been listening for a while, we did talk about Shirley Jackson a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, normally we like to do a state of the arts before we, we begin each episode. But honestly, we already have a whole episode that gives you the historical context and gives you the state of the arts for the gothic horror fiction women writers at the 20th century yes. so go check that one out after i that's still probably one of my favorite maybe like the, mo- the most favorite episode i've ever researched just because like that was like the beginning of i think me realizing just how many rabbit holes and just how many different ways like these themes in like women artists really to all connect you know what agreed. i mean agreed yeah it was very eye-opening for sure because i think mm-hmm. both of us were like wait a second an entire yeah. industry that like women basically were dominated. the key players yeah, yeah dominated in and yet we didn't ever really learn about that so totally <laughs> it's a cool episode definitely listen to it i love mm-hmm. it but shirley jackson if you watched pretty popular the mm-hmm. series on netflix haunting of hill house it's so good by her book and yeah that's like i fell in love i'm not usually like a big spooky horror fan as far as like movies go but mm-hmm. i loved that series it was so good was, i think so good. i'm not really good at like like too spooky but i like intense you yeah. know what i mean the difference between the two and i feel like mm-hmm. the beauty of that movie is that it like makes you think more yeah. than it like freaks you out at the end mm-hmm. you know 
It's a really, really good one, uh, especially if you don't normally like like scary or horror movies. I think it's a good that's, way to like yeah. get used to it. I think agreed. It's yes. a good one. I really liked it. And then after I saw that and after our episode that we did, I was like, okay, I have to read the original novel. Mm-hmm. And the TV series is a very loose application of the novel, but it is still a very good book. She's yeah. a very good writer. Like I remember just being struck with like, wow, like I hadn't, when I read it, it, I, it was my first novel I had read in a while and it's just very beautiful writing. So that's awesome. And it's, you know, it's not like a, it's a good way to not be too spooked. Personally, I really like reading scary books because mm-hmm. it, there's no jump scares in a book. Yeah. So I no, like there's those. not <laughs> anything that freaks you out. It's like slowly builds up to it. They can't just like, yeah, it's not it, a pop-up book. Just, it's, it's my brain. Like it's whatever my brain <laughs> yeah. decides to make of it. If I want to make the monsters less scary in my brain, then boom, Then you it's can. Less scary. Yep. Yeah. And you can always skip ahead and read the last sentence of the book to make sure. Exactly. To make sure everything turns out the way I feel like it should turn Which out. Which I think we are all guilty of doing, no matter how many people like to pretend that they don't. So Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about Shirley Jackson. So if you don't know, she is an American writer who is known primarily for her works in horror and mis- mystery. Over the duration of her entire career, which was a Spanned two decades, she composed six novels, two memoirs, and more than 200 short stories. Man. Which is awesome. So there's a really great article in The New Yorker about her that's called The Haunted Mind of Shirley Jackson. It came out in October of 2016. It is by Zoe Heller. This article, it's a great article that just provides so much biography on her life. And it was kind of released in tandem with a biography that was released for her more recently called A Rather Haunted Life by Ruth Franklin. I was like, "Hmm, maybe I'll buy that and just casually read it. It's a very long biography, so haven't purchased it yet, but it is on my kind of to-do list. Something that she brings up is a lot of what that book is about, Ruth Franklin, makes a lot of the tie-ins to kind of like what what we talked about in our episode about this where mm-hmm. maybe a lot of the themes had to kind of do with like her frustrations as a woman in the early mm. 20th centuries and how that was personified through her writing so that's the claim that is made in that biography and that's kind of the lens it looks at her through as opposed to what she kind of mentioned was like maybe other writings and other biographers in the past have just kind of looked at her as kind of like the crazy lady who writes to write spooky stories. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) it was through a new lens, but I want to read just the opening paragraph of this New Yorker article, and I'm going to reference it a lot just because like I said, it provides such good information, but it starts by saying, here's how to not be taken seriously as a woman writer. Use demons and ghosts and other gothic paraphernalia in your fiction. Describe yourself publicly as a practicing amateur witch and boast about the hexes you have placed on prominent publishers. Contribute comic essays to women's magazine about your hectic life as a housewife and a mother. Shirley Jackson did all of these things and during her lifetime was largely dismissed as a talented purveyor of high-toned horror stories. Virginia Woolf, as one critic put it, for most of the 51 years since her death, that reputation has stuck so just to kind of set the tone of 
I don't know, of like how she was seen. Another, a couple other things that were said in this New Yorker. The persona that Jackson presented to the world was powerful, witty, even imposing. She could be sharp and aggressive with Faye Bennington girls and sales clerks and people who interrupted her writing. Her letters were filled with tartly funny observations describing the bewildered response of New Yorker readers to the lottery, which I'll talk about later. She notes the number of people who expected Mrs. Hutchinson to win a Bendix washing machine at the end would amaze you. And then her her son said about her, she did hard work. She was always writing or thinking about writing and she did all the shopping and cooking too. The meals were always on time, but she also loved to laugh and tell jokes. She was very buoyant that way. So just to set the tone mm-hmm. of who she was, she loved writing horror, but she was also just a very funny, witty, smart woman always had comebacks to her critics she would talk about how she was an amateur witch though no one really knows if that was actually genuine or if it was just kind of a persona she would put on to sell her books (laughs) she was she was very just funny I think yeah so let's talk about what made Shirley Jackson Shirley Jackson so she was born in 1916 in San Francisco and she was raised in Burlingame California Um, which is just a suburb of San Francisco where her family resided. Her relationship with her mother was not very good because her mother had married really young and her name is Geraldine. And she was very disappointed because she immediately became pregnant with Shirley. And she had been looking forward to, quote, spending time with her dashing husband. Mm -hmm. So sounds like it was a case of got pregnant a little bit too soon, maybe before they were ready. And then the mom ended up resenting Shirley her whole life because of that. It's not her Um, fault. I know. Shirley Jackson was often not really able to fit in with the other children. And she spent from a very young age, spent a lot of her time writing, which brought her mother a lot of distress. Geraldine apparently made no attempt to hide her favoritism towards her son, whose name was Barry who said about his mother's issues with Shirley, said that Geraldine was just a deeply conventional woman who was horrified by the idea that her daughter was not going to be deeply conventional. And from the New Yorker, the article, it says that she was, of course, a rather elegant but also a vapid woman who was just very disappointed by her. She told Jackson that she was the product of a failed abortion and harangued her constantly about her bad hair, her weight, and her willful refusal to cultivate feminine charm. Long after Jackson had grown up and moved away, Geraldine continued to send letters criticizing her, quote, helter-skelter way of living, her repetitious fiction, and her appearance. I have been so sad all morning about what you have allowed yourself to look like which are quotations from her correspondence with her daughter that are throughout this biography that was recently written. Oh my goodness. So yeah, her mom sucks and yeah. just didn't even try to be nice to her own daughter, which is, Ugh. you know, great. Holy cow, that is horrible. I know. Like all of that. Just, I I can't <laughs> believe it. Um, and we'll talk about how this is just going to go on to just later affect her life. Yeah, there's a quote from Shirley Jackson writing about her childhood. And she said, when I first used to write stories and hide them away in my desk, 
I used to think that no one had ever been so lonely as I was, and I used to write about people all the time. I thought I was insane, and I would write about how the only sane people are the ones who are condemned as mad and how the whole world is cruel and foolish and afraid of people who are different. Mm. Which is so sad. Yeah. I mentioned that kind of later in her life, she takes on this role as an amateur witch, which kind of came from her grandmother, who's named Mimi. She was a Christian science practitioner who continued to practice spiritual healing on members of the family after she retired. Uh, Jackson was known to very critically assess her attempts, and she talked about a time where she Mimi claimed to have broken her leg, but healed it overnight through prayer, though really what had happened is she had just lightly sprained her ankle. When Mimi died, Jackson told her daughter that she, quote, died of Christian science. And (laughs) (laughs) I know I thought that was funny. I want to mention that because I think like the themes of religion and mysticism and mental power, witchcraft, they're all themes that are very prevalent in her writing later on. So it's probably partly where it came from. During her senior year of high school, they relocated to Rochester, New York, after where she attended Brighton High School. She graduated high school in 1934. Uh, she attended University of Rochester, where her parents apparently felt like they could maintain supervision over her. But she was very unhappy there. She took a long hiatus from her studies and then eventually transferred to Syracuse University in New York. And there is where she flourished, both creatively and socially. There, she received a bachelor's degree in journalism. And while she was there, she became involved with a campus literary magazine. And that's also where she met her future husband, who's named Stanley Edgar Hyman, who later became on a noted literary critic. Hmm. While she was there, she published her very first short story, Janice, that was about a teenager's suicide attempt. So starting very young, she was involved in pretty dark themes. But it... I know that her eventual husband kind of noticed her after that play, not that play, after that short story and was very, very impressed with her writing. This is something from the from the New Yorker again. Uh, it says, To Jackson, who had already begun to experience the anxiety, depression, and, quote, fears of people that flagged her throughout her life, Hyman seemed a savior, a brilliant man who didn't think she was ugly, who understood her and loved her, who believed in her promise as a writer. His main drawback was his principled insistence on sleeping with other women. He also expected Jackson to listen good-naturedly to accounts of his sexual adventures. On a few occasions during the early stages of their relationships, Hyman's behavior drove Jackson into such paroxysms of anguish that he worried she might be mentally ill, but he refused to compromise his, quote, integrity on the issue. That's a pretty big drawback. I know. He said, if it turns you queasy, you are a fool. Oh, my gosh. Jackson, um, whom Franklin, who is the biographer, describes as having been primed by her mother's criticisms to accept a relationship with a man who treated her disrespectfully and shamed her for legitimate and rational desires. She pretty much just reluctantly went along with his terms. I think after the abuse from her mother and then with him, it just almost seemed, I don't know, like. Yeah, that's sad. It's almost like he thought she was pretty and talented. And so she was willing to put up with the crap because she was like, well, at least least he he likes me. Unlike my mom, you know. Exactly. That's so sad. We're willing to settle for a lot less than what she 
like a slightly less abusive relationship but like not really exactly (laughs) oh my gosh so they got married in 1940 and they settled in north bennington virginia where her husband had been hired as an instructor at bennington university apparently she was pretty miserable a good deal of the time which were indicated by just her increasing substance abuse she often felt patronized in her role as a faculty wife and frozen up by the townspeople of North Bennington because it was like a small, more rural area. Um, mm-hmm. uh, apparently, she took revenge by using them as the model for the barbaric villagers in the lottery, which I'll talk about what that plot is later. <laughs> um, Already <but> excited. Most, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but most of all, she, of course, felt oppressed by her husband's um, mm-hmm. He had very loud expectations of what was due as the, quote, family patriarch, which the article kind of mentioned that even for like the time periods, like that they were a little intense, even considering it was the 20th century and where they were. Jackson did the cooking, the cleaning, the grocery shopping and the child rearing. He sat at his desk pondering the state of American letters and occasionally yelling at his wife to come and refill the ink in his pen. I just thought that was a funny thing. He couldn't even refill his own pen. I know. Uh. Um, And apparently his own brother once commented that his own visions on the domestic division of labor were the only aspects of his traditional Jewish upbringing that he had retained which I was was like picking and choosing what parts of religion and he's like how about the part where the wife has to do everything how about the part where (laughs) I'm in charge and you listen to me like wow how convenient that that's what you decided to do oh gosh that is so sad and yet like why am I not surprised I know (laughs) but he was a writer too so one thing is he did always encourage Shirley's writing but it was pretty much because Her writing is what kept the family afloat financially. And I guess he came to kind of resent her for how much her career had absolutely eclipsed his own. His major published works, which are called The Armed Vision, which is a comparative study of modern methods of literary criticism, and The Tangled Bank, which is on the literary strategies of Marx, Freud, Darwin, and Sir James Frazier, were grand projects of intellectual synthesis and both had taken on a dusty, doomed quality by the time he had completed them, which I just really like yeah. that quote. But I mean, even the titles <laughs> and like the summaries uh, explaining what they're about. I'm like, that sounds horribly boring. So. Agreed. Plus, it reminds me so much of like our romance novels conversation and how mm-hmm. like the best selling authors of all time are authors Women. of romance novels. Yes. <laughs> um, and how people are like, oh, that's so trashy, not intellectual. And yes, it's it's like, well... <laughs> Well, people, people, like people are reading, reading. them, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's almost like, oh yeah, she wrote like these novels, and they sold so much better than like his academic studies, and it's like, yeah, oh. well, <laughs> take some notes, sir. Yeah, think about that for a second. <laughs> uh, apparently, though, he he even sucks more, and he took solace in characterizing her to their friends as a sort of gifted idiot who composed oh. her fiction in a trance state of automatic writing, which. Side note, um, if you don't know what automatic writing is, we talk a lot about it in our, what was it called? The It's our um, Hilma off Clint. Episode. Yeah, our Hilma off Clint. And, and the artistic inspiration episode. Yes. yes. In our Hilma off Clint and artistic inspiration episode, we talk a lot about that concept of automatic writing. Mm-hmm. But apparently, so he would say she wrote all of it in a trance from this automatic writing and then had to take it to him to have it explained. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and then he, of course, continued just to be chronically unfaithful, mostly mm. with his former students at the university. <gasps> No, sucks. He's the worst. Oh my gosh, that just went from already horrible to even worse. Yeah, like there's just like so many just new layers of like, oh, I hate him. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm reaching a new category of men where I'm like, let's. (laughs) I just hope they never like are there ever again yeah like can they just disappear i don't know (laughs) he would be one of those he is one of them oh my gosh you know he had this proposition of an open marriage which she just reluctantly agreed to it was by no like actual consent you know and like i mean obviously it wasn't a two-sided thing to my knowledge of what i could find sounds like it was just him and the fact that he had to like talk about it in front of her too like why does that have to to be part of the arrangement like yeah exactly uh, i don't just and that like she's so horrible if like she's uncomfortable by that yeah Um, and then add to that the power imbalance of picking your former students like yeah that's disgusting on a whole other level Mm -hmm. yeah levels okay yeah <laughs> so we're not talking about him <laughs> we're not talking about him but we hate him and we acknowledge that um but he established himself as a professor and a critic but apparently on the outside they were known for being colorful and generous hosts who surrounded themselves with literary talents they were both obviously pretty enthusiastic readers they had a personal library that was estimated at twenty five thousand books man which is a lot of books yeah (laughs) and they had four children who were lawrence joanne sarah and barry who this is i'll talk more about her writings later but they achieved their own brand of literary fame as fictionalized versions of themselves in their mother's short stories and so lawrence was laurie joanne was janny sarah was sally and then barry just stayed the same name so wait so she she used them as characters in her short stories she named a son after her brother? Yeah. Oh, I guess wow. she did. Mm-hmm. I didn't even I guess make that she connection. didn't resent him, even though her mom liked him so much more. Yeah, I think it was <laughs> just her mom, but... Yeah. <laughs> Another fun just aspect to their great marriage is that he was also very adamant about controlling their finances, and he would, like, give her portions of her own earnings to her as he saw fit, even though she was absolutely the breadwinner in the family. That's so toxic. So it's it's just kind of setting this tone of like this is, uh, this is the environment she is in. This is how she was raised. Narcissist. No mon- <laughs> Like no wonder you would write like horror stories about ghosts and stuff when mm-hmm. like your life is, is an this. actual horror movie. <laughs> yeah, when you're living like this. Yeah, that is so sad. But I mean, I guess because she was like a stay-at-home mom and he was working, she wasn't a stay-at-home mom. She was a writer. Like she spent all yeah. of her time just. She did everything. Being, she literally like. did everything. Yeah. So good on her. So I'm gonna talk about all of her writing and the novels and collections of short stories that she published. So in 1948, she published her debut novel, which is *The Road Through the Wall*, which tells a semi-autobiographical account of her child growing up in California. Her most famous story was published in 1948, and it's called The Lottery, and it was first published in The New Yorker in their June 26th issue. 
And this is what established her reputation as a master of the horror tale. Hmm. So the plot of the lottery of the lottery, the plot of the lottery <laughs> basically involves that there is a selection of a lottery winner. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> a selection of a lottery winner out of the residence in a small fictitious town. But the winner would be sacrificed to ensure that the year's crops were good. Oh, no. And this is what the story was. <laughs> and apparently the story prompted over 300 different letters from readers. Many of them were outraged at its like dark aspect of human nature, characterized, as she puts it, bewilderment, speculation, and old-fashioned abuse. So, like, and I had read that that story it got the most responses from readers in like the history at the time of the new yorker wow so people were very upset by this <laughs> book i mean by this story in july 22nd of 1948 there was an issue of san francisco chronicle jackson offered the following in response to the persistent questions about from her readers about her intentions. And she said, explaining just what I had hoped the story to say is very difficult. I supposed I hoped by setting a particularly brutally ancient rite in the present and in my own village to stock, to shock the story's readers with a graphic dramatization of the pointless violence and general inhumanity in their own lives. Hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, like she kind of used her own small town that she lived in as a model for yeah the story in the lottery lottery and i think people maybe like i think it spoke to the darker sides of humanity that people probably didn't like resonating with so yeah especially because i feel like a lot of the times small town life is idealized because yeah. like crime rates are lower and people are like oh it's so much everyone better knows everyone it's so yeah nice. which yeah. anyone who's lived in both knows that like there's downsides mm -hmm. to both yeah <laughs> and so yeah I kind of like that that she took this idea of you know maybe this little town that everyone loved so much and then turned it into the setting for a very a dark situation <laughs> dark story based yeah. on her neighbors <laughs> gotta love it <laughs> I mean it's like yeah it's like probably the same satisfaction I get about writing songs about personal people in my life and just like feeling <laughs> yeah. a little bit of joy about roasting them so exactly we all find ways it. to get our I revenge yeah, right? we do yeah we absolutely do despite the public outrage of this there was a very positive critical reaction to it mm -hmm. and the story quickly became really a standard in anthologies and it was actually adapted in to television in 1952 which is only four oh, years wow. after it was published yeah that's quick I know. And then in 1949, The Lottery was published in a short story collection of Jackson's titled The Lottery and Other The Lottery and Other Stories. So, so is there very popular? There's like a movie of The mm -hmm. Lottery like I could go watch. There's a 1969 film and then a 1996 TV film. So there there's two different. So, yeah, like that one was almost like an instant success and like, you know, like I said literally 4 years after there was a TV out. Yeah, that's adaptation. crazy. I'm amazed that it's that soon. Usually it takes mm -hmm. things a lot longer, but that I guess that shows how hugely popular it was. I know. Her second novel Hangsman, Hangsman was in 1951. It contained elements similar to a mysterious real-life dis disappearance of a girl. So December 1st, 1946, there was a disappearance of an 18-year-old girl 
from Bennington College, who was a sophomore named Paula Jean Weldon. This event, which apparently still remains unsolved, no Mm. one still knows what happened to this girl, but it took place in the wooded wilderness in the mountain range near that university in Vermont where her family lived at the time. So Mm. she took elements of that true story and put it into that novel that she published in 1951. Um, The event was also served as inspiration for her short story, The Missing Girl, that was published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. The following year, so this this is when she um, brings her children into her writings. So she published Life Among the Savages, a semi-autobiographical collection of short stories based on her own life with her four children, many of which had been published prior in popular magazines such as Good Housekeeping, Women's Day, and Collier's. So it sounds like like life among the savages but a lot of them are like funny like they're funny stories these works apparently are true to life funny housewife stories of okay like the, so it's yeah it's like life with her children yeah mm-hmm. okay, or that's life hilarious. among the savages yeah and there's a sequel to that memoir called raising demons so <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny like, just i think a funny witty attitude about yeah. motherhood <laughs> 1954 she published the bird's nest which detailed a woman with multiple personalities and her relationship with her psychiatrist Mm. um one of her publishers roger strauss deemed the bird's nest a perfect novel but the publishing house marketed it as a psychological horror story which apparently displeased her but i'm truthfully not really sure what else you would market it as based off of the description of it but apparently she wasn't happy with it um four years later she published The Sundial, and it concerned a family of wealthy eccentrics who believed they had been chosen to survive the end of the world. Like, I feel like I just love the variety in the plot. I know. Here. I'm like, how did she come up with all of this? Uh-huh. Like, I would not, even like writing a story about raising children, I would never imagine like writing like raising demons raising demons (laughs) even though that's so funny and shows like a witty dark sense of humor that she had like what an imagination and like clever mind it's so sad that her husband called her an idiot like you can tell she's clearly not she's a genius yeah yeah absolutely her fifth novel was the haunting of hill house which is in 1959 which follows a group of individuals participating in a paranormal study at a reportedly Mm -hmm. haunted mansion. So a little bit different than like a family moving into the house. But um, this novel, which interpolated supernatural phenomena, but also psychology, it went on to become a very critically esteemed example of the typical haunted house story. And Stephen King described it as one of the most important horror novels of the 20th century. And yeah, a big aspect of that book because that's the one that I've read is like the what happens psychologically to the main character and how she responds to almost like the idea of it being haunted and what I liked so much about the book is like there was no resolution and like not in the sense of like how some horror like you know scary movies like at the end you like see something that's like the ghost isn't dead after all but almost like is it even real you know what I mean like or is this woman did she just kind of go mad Mm -hmm. And which going back to like the themes in these writings of like distrusting women and women just being so frustrated and where they're at that like, I don't know that like maybe that's what's that's the monster after all. You know what I mean? Agreed. It's definitely it's more like a psychological horror, even though it's masked as like a 
haunted house. Haunted house. Yes. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So this week on the podcast, I will be shouting out an illustrator and an author. Her name on Instagram is Nikki Miles, N-I-K-K-I Miles underscore. She has just really awesome prints and graphics. I love it. If you follow um, follow her, you'll get awesome things just for fall and for Halloween. She's already, at, when, we're post, when we're recording this, it's the very end of September, and she already has little ghost things. There's this cute little ghost one that says, don't focus on frightening thoughts too long. So, so she cute. has a lot of really cute things. If you go to her website, uh, she has an Etsy shop where she has a lot of really cute prints and birthday cards with just awesome prints on it that you can check out. She also has a book called Be Kind, Be Cool, Be You, which are cute. just inspiring words to live by, which look really cute. Just a little book of happiness and then if you go to her website there's an autumn new arrival where she has positive sticker sets postcard sets happiness cards lots of cute postcards with all of her prints tiny candles even just really really cute things so cool go check her out get all the spooky but yet wholesome halloween content um and again that's nikki miles underscore okay my artist this week I found a long time ago and I have been saving for October because I'm this excited. is such a cool thing. Okay, so the handle is Southern Gothic Dollhouse. Um, okay. She's on Instagram and TikTok. I found her on TikTok, but her Instagram also has a lot of behind the scenes and everything. She's basically creating a little miniature haunted house that she set in the South. And she, like, created, like, a little bathtub that has, like, an oh octopus and skeleton hands. And she has, like, a little fridge that she made with, like, rotten food in it. And a little piano that is, like, it's literally the cutest thing I have ever seen, but in, like, a creepy cute way, if that makes sense. Okay, okay, okay. Hold on. I just am stumbling on a post that said... I'm starting to build the baby tooth chandelier. Thank you all for so generously sending me your little gems. Are those actual? They're actual teeth, yes. Oh, my God. She's making a chandelier out of actual teeth. Yep. I mean, you got to commit, and she Uh has, and it's incredible. Yeah, and she, like, dipped them in gold and everything, too. Like, and, I mean, it adds to the creepiness absolutely (laughs) so so many people were like where did you get this and she's like i just asked you'd be surprised how many people have like baby i mean if they can get behind what you're doing like yeah i get it yeah but it's so fun to like watch her videos because she'll take something and it's like a cute little copper bathtub and then she turns it into like the home of a little sea monster with like skeleton hands hanging on the side and it's just so cool. Like, yeah, I'm obsessed. Yeah. There, yeah, and there's plenty of videos on there. It's been kind of slow lately. She hasn't posted an update in quite a while, but there's plenty for you to like binge watch if you want to go see her like change the little bathroom into like a haunted little swampy bathroom and the library. She adds like spider webs. 
She had like a little piano she made and like painted <gasps> I green. I just saw the piano. Yeah. It's so cool and so fun. And the lights and everything work. Um, it's just like the cutest little haunted house. I can't wait to see it finished. So, And she's been working on this for like years. Yeah. For like, a really, really long I'm time. I'm back at like October 2020 and like mm-hmm. she's just been doing it. Definitely. Check her out. All right. Now back to the show. In 1959, she also published a one-act children's musical called The Bad Children that was based on Hansel and Gretel. Mm. Um, But then her final novel was We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which is a gothic mystery novel, and it was named by Time Magazine as one of the 10 best novels of 1962, which is cool. And then the following year, she published Nine Magic Wishes, an illustrated children's novel about a child who encounters a magician who grants him numerous enchanting wishes. So, like, I feel like she is just insanely creative. Like, she's obviously writing these gothic horror stories, and I know a lot of short stories that have to do with those themes, but, like, also so many, like, works for children and comic things for other housewives. Like, it was just an abundance of the Mm -hmm. things that she was writing, which is is so cool. Based off of the life she had, she, she did suffer a lot with mental health problems. And shortly after the publication of We Have Always Lived in the Castle in 1962, she suffered a nervous breakdown and a very prolonged bout of acute agoraphobia that prevented her going outside for half a year. What's agoraphobia? Extreme or irrational fear of entering open or crowded places, of leaving one's own home, or of being in places where escape is difficult. Fair enough. So just a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Is it bad that I'm like, no, I felt that way before. (laughs) Not long term, but I can imagine what that would be like. (laughs) Yeah. But that prevented her from going outside for half of a year. Yeah, that's so sad. And she said, I've written myself into the house. It took her two years to recover completely. During that time, she was unable to write. I can't blame her. I know, honestly. Um, When she was beginning to recover, she tried to coax herself back into producing fiction by starting a journal. In it, she looked forward to a future where she would be free from fear and able, finally, to leave her husband, quote, to be separate, to be alone, to stand and walk alone, not to be different and weak and helpless and degraded. This is so sad. Um, And then this, like, new liberated person, she speculated, would have to find a new subject, a new style for her writing. And this is what she said. She said, if I'm cured and well and oh glorious alive, then my book should be different. Who wants to write about anxiety from a place of safety? Although I suppose I would never be entirely safe since I cannot completely reconstruct my mind. But But what conflict is there to write about then? I keep thinking vaguely about husbands and wives, perhaps in suburbia, but do I not really think this is my kind of thing? Perhaps a funny book, a happy book. Plots will come flooding when I get the rubbish cleared away from my mind. That is so sad. I know. Oh my gosh. She's like, I could write happy things, but only when my life is finally happy. I know, which, I mean, we have tons, we've had tons of conversations just throughout this podcast of just like this idea of like the starving artist and like the tortured artist I guess is a better thing for me to say where you know as artists it's really easy for us to be like oh how like almost like how will getting better affect my art and like yeah but I think she was not like 
seeing it as a negative thing, but almost as like something a positive to in a way. hope for and like yeah. something to look forward to. And I like that she said like, I know that like this, these future ideas will come flooding once. Like she says, like the rubbish cleared away from my mind. And like, she obviously really struggled heavily with depression and anxiety. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, her life is just filled with abusers. So like, uh, I don't want to say of course, because you know but like i can't maybe blame her and it's clear where it came from you know what yeah, i mean yeah that is so sad oh, what a sad statement she did apparently though begin writing a new novel that was a funny and happy novel in which a recently widowed woman abandons her old name calling herself herself angela motorman and embarks on a new life in a boarding house unencumbered by pets, address books, souvenirs, or even friends. She's alone, but confident that she can provide her own fine, high gleefulness. Um, She was only apparently 75 pages into this novel when she died in her sleep of heart failure at only the age of 48. Oh my gosh. So she died so young, but I at least like the sentiment that she began writing her happy, funny novel. Like, I feel like that show... I hope that that means that at her end of her life, she was able to find peace. You know what I mean? You'd hope so. Mm -hmm. This is something that I think came from the New Yorker article, but it says she never found out whether this style was going to work, which is kind of, you know, the more Mm -hmm. free thing, or whether she would ever really be capable of living alone. But the last words in her journal written six months before her she died suggest a woman heroically trying to persuade herself into optis- optimism and she says i am the captain of my fate laughter is possible laughter is possible laughter is possible oh i yeah it's just ah uh, it makes me very emotional just like yeah. those words just laughter is possible it, it's very sad it's sad to have to realize that so late in life too like mm-hmm laughter is possible like that's something you should know from childhood like yeah exactly and her life just didn't allow that that. yeah that's so sad as far as her legacy goes i mean she was a brilliant woman and a very funny woman too like obviously she's more remembered for her horror writings but even with what she was able to write in her life like there's so many just funny things Mm-hmm. So let me just talk a little bit about her legacy. So in 1968, her husband, yeah. um, but he did release posthumously a volume of her work, which was Come Along With Me, which contained her unfinished last novel, which I think is just that one I just referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, or I don't know if it was like one right before that, but as well as 14 previously uncollected short stories and three lectures she gave at colleges or writers conferences in her last year. In 1996, there was a crate of unpublished stories that were found in a barn behind her home. And a selection of those stories, along with previously uncollected stories just from various magazines, were published in a volume, Just an Ordinary Day. And the title was taken from one of her stories that were published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. In 2007, the Shirley Jackson Awards were established with permission from her estate. And they are in recognition of her legacy in writing and are awarded for outstanding achievement in the literature literature of psychological suspense, horror, and the dark fantastic, which Mm. is cool. In 2014, there was a novel that was written by Susan Scarf Merrill called Shirley, a novel that was about Jackson and her husband and a fictional couple who moved in with them and a missing girl. So it's like a novel that's very loosely based on 
her life and kind of like almost like the mysticism surrounding her life and that is what there's a movie out called Shirley that it's on Hulu that if you want to watch it you can watch it on Hulu Mm -hmm. that's what the movie's based on so it's not like a biopic on her life it's about this novel that's very loosely based on her life okay that makes sense what I'm halfway through the movie and it's a weird movie about it okay I'm excited (laughs) to finish it so I guess I shouldn't speak too soon because yeah. I'm like over halfway and I'm still not 100% sure what's going on. <laughs> so like, granted, like I was also doing my research as I was watching it. So perhaps I was yeah. not paying the most attention. But it's it's very fictionalized. But I think what it does do is I think it's meant to highlight her mental state. And okay. it does a great job at making you hate the husband, which is something I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll you know. support that. We can support that at least. Plus, I will say, I saw photos of it when I was looking for a photo of Shirley Jackson, and Elizabeth Moss looks so much like her yeah, in the she, photos. She looks strikingly similar <laughs> to her. It's, it's, it's actually, weird. like, kind of spooky, because I was like, holy cow, like, she yeah. looks so much like her, so. They definitely achieved something there. Yeah. I can't speak to how accurate even, I guess, her portrayal is. I don't know how, like, Shirley Jackson experts feel on that. Yeah. But I'm enjoying the movie. It's interesting. It's probably good for October. Like I said, there's that mystery, mysterious element where I'm over an hour in and I'm still like, hmm, what's going to happen? Yeah. There's a lot of weird flashbacks to things that I don't understand. In 2016 is when Ruth Franklin published that Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life, which is the biography that examines the influence of her upbringing, marriage and addictions upon her, her work while positioning her as a major figure in American literature and examiner of a post-war American anxieties via the, quote, domestic horror. Mm -hmm. Um, And that biography would go on to receive the National Book Critics Circle Award for Biography, the Edgar Award for Critical Biographical Work, and the Bram Stoker Award for Best Nonfiction. So, like, that was a very well-received biography and, like, seems to be very intensive on her life so if you're interested i mean obviously it's a good read it won a lot of awards so i'm sure it's entertaining and like if i remember correctly it was like 600 pages so it's pretty long but Mm -hmm. i'm i'm excited to get it and like learn more about shirley jackson's life like i feel like i know there's so much information out there and i definitely just scratched the surface of who she is and who she was and I don't know. I, it makes me so sad, like reading about her mental state and all the things that she went through just as a small child and like the abuse that she suffered from yeah. her husband emotionally and, you know, all kinds of. But her husband and her mom just sound like two of the worst people ever. People How ever. sad that like one person had to have both of them in their life. Exactly. But I mean, she is an amazing writer like i said i love the haunting of hill house it makes me want to read even more of her books i don't even think critically and like from a writing standpoint hill house is even like the most like her best novel it's just i think now the more commonly known one probably because of the stephen king shout out and all the adaptions that's been done for it but yeah there's like literally the basics of her Go read that biography and watch the movie. It's it's interesting. I still would recommend it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, like, yeah. It's not. But <laughs> it's awesome I mean, to hear more awesome. about her. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, like, at the very least, like, 
just her talent and her ability like no one could deny it she was so famous like right like she was so well known with her writing she was so accomplished which is amazing so go check her out go read some of her stories you can I haven't read it yet I started to read it but like you can still just go read the the lottery in the New Yorker like if you just search it the whole short story is there online for you to read yeah that one sounds really interesting it's yeah it's a short story so go read it and it's apparently pretty spooky it outraged a lot of people when it came out so go see what all the fuss is about we like outrage we do like outrage I'm excited because I get to watch The Haunting of Hill House again because my mom has never seen it. And we convinced her that even though she doesn't like scary movies, that she'd be able to handle it. Yes. And so I'm excited because basically as like a family, we're going to sit down and watch The Haunting of Hill House again this October. So Good. I'm inspired to also rewatch it this October because Mm -hmm. it's... It's honestly probably one of my favorite TV shows ever. I thought it it's was just so, so well done. It was so freaky. I I loved it. Well, this was a fun start to October. I know. Here's our start of October and then all of our lots of spooky recommendations to enjoy yes. and to consume art created by women artists. In Definitely. our show notes, I'm going to have the links to the biography that was about her as well as haunting of hill house full disclosure they are amazon affiliate links so if you do decide to make a purchase through them we'll receive that small commission but also hey if you want to purchase it do it through our links because that in a way supports the podcast and we would really appreciate that it really helps us out so anything any little purchase you want to make if you're planning on buying a book if you want to do it through our affiliate links that would be great just to know a little break from our October haunting episodes, but we will be having our birthday episode next week. And yeah. we have something really fun planned that we're not going to tell you yet, but um, it's practically next week will be one year of more than me. So yep. yeah, come celebrate with us on Instagram or wherever. Um, if you want to give us a birthday present, you can leave a review. <laughs> That's the best birthday present. Yeah. Leave us a review. <laughs> a rating and a review would be the best thing that you could do for us if you've been loving it. Um, we've just, I can't believe it's been a year. I can't believe it's been a year either. That's crazy. So, yeah, next week we'll have that and then we'll be right back to our spooky content for the rest of the month. Yes, and I'm very excited about it. Thank you, everyone. Happy Halloween and have a great rest of your week. Bye. Bye.